We have on the line from downtown Annapolis, a little swamp area, or swampette. It is our senator from Frederick County, one of the two senators, Senator Mike Huff. Mike, you with us? I'm here. Hey, thank you for making yourselves available to making yourself available to us, so we can get an update from the little uh, from Annapolis. I'll be nice. It, it, it's hard for me to be nice because I see some of these bills being introduced in the both on the House and Senate side, and I, I scratch my head. I, I just can't understand that we're paying people to just mess with their lives. Uh, can you uh, give us a, 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 a overview of too big of a sentence there. Can you give us a, like, a, some highlights of what is going on, what we should be looking, f- you know, watching for and see what, how, you, how you're going to take care of us or not take care of us? Yeah. That's so a terrible th- entrance, but go ahead. The big issue that we have dealt with uh, and the Senate passed already was legislative redistricting. So you may remember... Oh, we yeah. came into a special session and did congressional redistricting. So every 10 years, as required by the U.S. and state constitution, after you do the census, you have to reapportion the seats. And, of course, in Annapolis, it has become the annual practice of how much can we gerrymander the state. So, Is this Senate, the, bill, uh, Senate Bill 12? Or uh, two, two? I think no, it's Senate Bill 2. Yeah, it was would have been Senate Joint Resolution yes. 2, I believe. That's, was it. The, That's it, brother. So what they did was um, we came in to regular session. We had already done the gerrymandered, terrible congressional maps, which, of course, will split. It continues to split Frederick County in half and create two majority Montgomery County districts, which that's been that way, unfortunately, for over a decade now. But the legislative districts, people don't uh, pay as much attention to. And quite frankly, because it's harder to figure out, you've got 141 House districts, 47 Senate districts. And if you look at the map, you can't. It's harder to figure out how they've gerrymandered it. But long story short, what they did was there are currently in the Maryland Senate, for example, there are 32 Republicans, or 32 Democrats and 15 Republicans. They took all 32 of the Democrats and drew them into safe seats. And what that means is uh, a competitive analysis says that a, that a district where the Republican and Democrat are, are typically seven points apart would be competitive. So they took uh, all of their members and drew their districts in a way that none of them would be in competitive seats. And the only seats that are actually rated as competitive are four seats that are currently held by the Republicans. And so why this is bad, it, it gets back to partisan gerrymandering. And it's a bad thing because if these maps stay in place, then 32 me- those 32 members on the other side of the aisle, and quite frankly, a large chunk of members on our side of the aisle, will only have to win primary elections. Right. If you only have to win primary elections, then what incentive is there to work across the aisle? In fact, there's a disincentive. There's a disincentive to compromise, work together. If you're an unaffiliated voter, you're going to be locked out, and it's going to lead to more hyperpartisanship. And when you see that uh, so much placating to the far left down the General Assembly, the reason they're doing that is because they can only lose a primary election. So right. it's really bad for the policy outcome. It's really bad for the voters. And so that's gonna, that map has passed the Maryland Senate, of course, on a complete party line vote. And it'll go over down to the House, where I expect it to pass. And then it'll be up to the Maryland Court of Appeals whether yes. they get involved. And we all hope they do. It's a shame because it's gerrymandering all over the country. Frank keeps throwing up how much the Republicans are gerrymandering in other states. But if you listen and read the the media on this, the Democrats have way outperformed the Republicans on gerrymandering. But let's go to let's go some positive news. That's that's going to be a challenge in the courts. Hopefully, the courts will take it up. Uh, tell me some other uh, things that we. 
you know what we hear back home here in the you know little old Frederick County up in the west, and nobody cares. Uh, the marijuana is that a joint uh, bill? A uh, <laughs> joint bill. Get, get, get it. Fun there. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, so this is what I'm hearing on that. Uh, there's a talk about the Speaker of the House wants to do a constitutional amendment on marijuana and basically kick it to the voters to decide should we legalize marijuana or not. That would be, uh, if you just straight did it like that, I think that's a really bad way to handle the issue in that we did that with gambling. Yes. And the problem is when you put something in the Constitution to change it, amend it, make any, uh, you know, uh, do any changes down the line, takes a constitutional amendment. So it's a very cumbersome process. And you don't want to do that with drug laws. I mean, we're always, every session we deal with drug laws constantly. Yes. We deal with, you know, synthetic marijuanas and banning those. We deal with all kinds of laws with drugs. And so um, I hope they do not do that. I'm not in favor of legalizing marijuana to begin with. In fact, uh, it's a real shame if you go into some of these larger cities now across the country they just stink like marijuana because yeah. these, these prosecutors are not uh, prosecuting it whatsoever. So people are just walking down the, down the street smoking marijuana. It stinks. It's not something that... It's not healthy. But here is a question for you. If, right now it is a federal... To my recollection, to my knowledge, it is a federal uh, uh, crime to smoke marijuana and to possess it. So until we turn the, change the federal laws, how do, we, how do we have a state law override a federal law? Well, you know, that, that bridge was crossed a long time ago. Oh, yes. You know, oh, you've yes. got you've had the medical marijuana laws. You've had a number of laws in place for over a decade. So clearly they're not enforcing it. I mean, the federal government's not enforcing anything on the borders. It's, you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously. They're not controlling drugs or flow of people or anything coming across the borders. So the federal government's pretty hapless when it comes to that. And so, you know, there's just a number of issues that, uh, that if this comes up, for example, right now the state of Maryland has not dealt with what I talked about, public smoking. Yes. So the idea that you can go down to Baker Park and you can't smoke a cigarette but. because the city has passed an ordinance saying you can't use tobacco in public parks, those we need to empower the locals to say you also can't smoke marijuana in public parks. Exactly. We need to deal with the issue of driving under the influence. Right now in Maryland, you can drive down the road and your passenger can be smoking marijuana, and it's not clear under the law that that's illegal. So we've been trying to address that for a number of years. So there's a number of issues to deal with um, uh, on this that, uh, you know, it, that, that really need to be addressed. And I, I don't know how you do it by just kicking it to the voters. To me, that is just a political yeah, uh, issue where they've decided there's a lot of young voters sure. that they would like to engage and get out to the polls. So let's throw marijuana on the ballot and try to bring those folks out to vote because we think politically it helps us. Well, that's, that may be good politics, but it's terrible policy. What about, uh, okay, doing some other things. And, and I know you, a lot of the bills are cross-filed so that you have both the one. Oh, I'm sorry, Frank. But we have uh, on both sides. Uh, why is the state of Maryland, and this is, I haven't found the Senate bill yet, state of Maryland proposing, uh, for example, and again, I have nothing against this. I just don't understand the necessity of a legislative body uh, proposing, for example, uh, I had a House bill here that had, it was going to, had to do with uh, LBGCQ businesses and how they should be promoted. And this is coming from the state legislature. Uh, legislation. I don't understand what what what's going on. What what is this? All you have to do down there? Not you personally, 
But anyhow, we'll come right back if you'd hold, please. Senator Mike Huff brings us up to date on the 2022 legislative session. Now, last year, Senator, you screwed with us up here. Not you personally. I don't mean to say it as a negative way of you. But you brought in things such as this uh, Police Accountability Board. You bring in all that bias, and you have Climate Solution Act. You have Corona Pandemic Relief, Dignity Not Detention Act. All these nut, nutty, nice-sounding nice things, but accomplishing nothing. Now, we're back to this 2022. You're, uh, what do you see that, that are going to be some hot topics? I know we talk to the funny topics, and I mean funny because they don't, I don't think recreational marijuana or LGBT community businesses really affect the whole world. But get into the meat of things, what's down in Annapolis, if you would, please. Well, I think, you know, last year you saw, and you referenced it with the, uh, the policing legislation, yes. which... Uh, and I think there was, it's a shame, too, because just to go back in time, there was actually bipartisan legislation from the Senate uh, that, that you know, police officers don't want bad police officers. They want accountability, too. I mean, it hurts their profession. And so yeah. we had done legislation that was really balanced, and then it went to the House and the ACLU and the groups on the left who really have an anti-police uh, agenda and mindset really took over, and it's a shame what happened. And that legislation, of course, went into law uh, after the governor's veto was overridden. And you also had a number of pieces of legislation, some of which were, again, the governor's vetoes were overridden this session, dealing with violent offenders, people that had been convicted of murder and very serious things, making them more parole eligible. And what I see this session already is a lot of legislation being introduced dealing with very violent offenders, quite frankly, making it easier for them to get it back out in the streets. And one piece of legislation, right now, if you are a juvenile offender and you are charged with a, uh, a crime like first-degree murder or first-degree rape, you are automatically charged as an adult. And there is legislation to say, no, we actually want to make it so they are charged as juveniles. And what that will do is if you're 17 and a half years old, if you're charged as a juvenile, what, you're going to serve a couple months in prison, walk out, and then your, your record or a couple months in a juvenile facility, and you walk out and your record is expunged and you are free to go. I mean, to me, that is crazy. And here we're sitting here in an environment all around Annapolis with crime rates rising. I mean, what's going yes. on in Baltimore City is absolutely horrendous, horrendous with not only the numbers of homicides, again, over 300, but the story's coming out. Last yep. night, there was a restaurant owner gunned down. I mean, it's just it's constant with the innocent people that are being killed all across the state. And if you look at the Frederick News Post, even, yes. it seems like almost, uh, you know, every day there's a story. I think there were two this week of homicides. I don't ever remember that. It's all throughout the state, Montgomery County and everything else. And yet in Annapolis, in this little bubble, they keep pushing out legislation to let violent, repeat offenders and people that commit the most heinous crimes out on the street. And to me... I think it's crazy because I've spent a lot of my uh, time down here actually working across the aisle on yes. uh, criminal justice and doing reforms and helping people that were nonviolent offenders. And, and now we've shifted to uh, the most violent offenders and pushing them back out in the streets. And so that's what I see as my biggest fear for this session is the uh, continued assault on public safety. And you see this across the country, uh, the effects it's having. It's not only the legislation we're passing, but the way that elected officials and activists and others are talking about police. You see the assassinations of police, right. uh, the disrespect for police, uh, the disrespect for the law. And it's just uh, it's, it's in the actions of legislators and in their words. 
But uh, before I get you going here too much, here was a question that just popped in. What do you, how do you, when you talk with the, your senators from Baltimore City, are, they have to be cognizant of, of what's going on there. Uh, do they just, do, do they just ignore it? I mean, I would think they're good people that want to do the right thing, but uh, they, they continue to see the downward spiral of Baltimore City. Baltimore City's becoming a joke. It is a very uh, liberal, far-left mindset that they have when it comes to crime. It just, quite frankly, is that their, their view and a lot of legislators' view and apathy down here is for the criminal and not for the victim. Unbelievable. That they feel that society, and in many cases it's true, Baltimore City, you know, the educational system, the government, there's a lot of, all their structures are failing. Yes. And... They are. There is a point in the, in the failure that society has failed a number of these people. But where the part they're missing is their apathy for the victims. Their apathy for somebody that once is doing the right things and uh, just happens to walk down the street and mugged and assaulted. That that person, that victim, deserves restitution and that victim deserves justice. Yes. And that seems to be the part where the apathy does not seem to lie. Their their apathy all lies with the criminal and not with the law-abiding citizen. Senator, may we hold you over past this short break? Yeah, absolutely. All right, good. And I want you to uh, tone up or hone up for me because I, I see some avenues here that says that Maryland may become a sanctuary state. So we're coming right back with Senator Mike Huff from Annette. Senator, thank you again for holding on, and we go back to you. I left you with a question uh, regarding any movement to, sanctuary, uh, to make Maryland a sanctuary state. Any more movement on that yeah, and uh, um, you know, and, and when when we left, and I, I, uh, what I was saying is that a lot of the folks down here, their sympathies lie with the, uh, with the with the criminals and the lawbreakers, and not the, uh, the not the law-abiding citizens. And again, you come back to another terrible policy, which is, of course, the sanctuary state legislation. I don't believe. I, maybe I'm putting too much faith in uh, down here in Annapolis, but I really don't believe we're going to move that bill this session. They've had a whole term to do it. Now we're entering into an election year. I just can't, I can't believe they would do that. I would hope they would not. Um, for those who aren't familiar, what, what the term actually means, a sanctuary state, is that it would say that law enforcement cannot cooperate with federal authorities on immigration issues. So if somebody has broken a law and they're sitting in your jail, and the feds come to pick them up, you can't cooperate and work with them. Montgomery County tried that, and it, it went off so horrendously. They had so many assaults and uh, rapes and, uh, on, on women and other people across the county that they quickly rescinded the policy and actually invited ICE to come in the jail. So I, I think that policy has borne out across a couple of jurisdictions. Prince George's tried it. A uh, young girl was brutally murdered as a result of that policy. So... I don't see that uh, moving forward, but I do see moving forward legislation that, like I said earlier, would make it easier for violent offenders and uh, some of the ones I've seen already are juveniles that commit yeah. heinous acts, make it easier for them to get out of jail and serve little time and little accountability. And a lot of the, a lot of the offenses, quite frankly, some of the most violent offenses and homicides are generally committed by Young men who yes. are, you know, late teens to early 20s. And usually gang-related. Yeah, oftentimes drugs or yeah, gangs exactly. or, you know. Well, it's sad. Uh, Frank, I'll yield to you for a second. Well, uh, we are talking to Maryland State Senator 
uh, uh, Michael, Michael Huff from the 4th District in uh, Maryland and uh, some of Carroll County. And appreciate you being on with us. Uh, let me ask you about one bill in particular. And I always say every year when talking to uh, senators and delegates, there are so many bills being introduced. Oh Can't gosh. expect you to know, you know about all of them. But this is one that uh, you might be uh, involved with. And that is the debate about banning uh, so-called ghost guns. Uh, do you see this as a uh, Second Amendment threat, or do you see this as a prudent measure to uh, attack violent crime? I'm interested to hear the hearing on this, because I know the feds have changed the rules on it. In the past, that legislation has never moved in uh, down here because there's been problems with it in that there were constitutional concerns. Uh, just because, you know, For example, if you put diagrams on the, online how to build a gun... There's actually case law that that's constitutionally protected. You know, there's there was an interesting case on that. It's called the, about the anarchist cookbook and stuff. So even though it may be things that that we don't like or you don't want somebody to do, there was case law that that would present constitutional problems. And then some of the other legislation trying to get at uh, ghost guns uh, also created problems for people that um, do uh, firearm repairs and hobbyists. So. It was, it was an interesting issue. I will say, though, that if you look at what happened down in Montgomery County, they're basically the case study of oftentimes what not to do. Uh, a, they, a ghost gun was what they termed a ghost gun was just used to kill, uh, or not kill, I'm sorry, but critically injure uh, a young man 15 years old down there. And I think there's something to look at there in that I think we would all agree that uh, somebody who's 17 years old shouldn't be able to order gun parts online and and put together a gun and i don't even know if that was even legal what that person did so we're going to hear in that bill and see it out but something else that's being left out of that debate about what happened down at magruder high school yes montgomery county removed sros from the school system for the first time in i think 19 or 20 years that they haven't had sros in the schools and they did it this year as part of the defund the police effort right. when that 17 year old shot that 15 year old it took a half hour for police to show up there it then took two hours to apprehend the shooter. I have a hard time believing that if there had been an SRO on that campus, that would have happened. And so um, there's another thing we could just learn from looking at Montgomery County of what not to do. Exactly. And then their first year of removing SROs, they had this awful incident, and that police didn't apprehend the shooter for two hours. Mm-hmm. So I think there's multiple incident, there's multiple issues to look into uh, as far as what happened at Magruder High School. So, but, Senator, on the uh, ghost guns, uh, would it be proper to say that uh, your stance on um, outlawing them would be uh, to be decided, that you're going to listen to debates? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to listen to testimony. In the past, the legislation came in, it was flawed, and, and I wouldn't be able to support it because there were there was constitutional issues. And I had a number of constituents that came down and uh, that do firearm repair, for example, and it would have inhibited their ability to order simple parts and things like that they need to do to repair firearms. And so there were clear problems, and everyone recognized that. That's why we didn't move it forward. But, uh, you know, uh, we'll look at the law and make sure. I mean, there uh, nobody wants to have 17-year-olds be able to assemble firearms. Like, you know, I'm curious if there's already laws that were violated. We haven't had the hearing yet and haven't seen the bill, so okay. we'll see what's in it. All right. About, uh, I see a lot of bills about raising price, raising prices, raising salaries for the comptroller and the treasurer. 
attorney or states attorney general and things like that, and for uh, senators and delegates. As what about the local sheriff? Did the, the not that it will affect the sheriff now, but uh, is there a bill introduced to raise the salary of the uh, uh, our local sheriff? Yes, there is a bill. So we haven't uh, actually. I proposed it to the delegation. Look, I know it's one of these things that's not popular. Sure. Nobody likes to have elected officials vote to pay raise and right. things like that. But I've been pretty outspoken about that. I feel like we need to have good law enforcement folks. And so a couple of years ago, I put forward legislation and we passed it locally. It falls on us to decide these local pay raises. It always it does for uh, state's attorney, for sure. sheriff. And so we've got to vote. We have not taken up the sheriff since 2014. We did uh, the state's attorney last time, and I want to make sure, quite frankly, we have good, top-notch, quality law enforcement people. I think we do right now. I think our state's attorney and sheriff are both doing an excellent job, right. and I want to keep it that way. I want to keep good people in these positions. So uh, we are bringing up legislation to uh, look at doing a pay increase for the sheriff. How about a, a pay increase for uh, your fellow senators and uh, delegates? Because I know that's uh, being talked about, and I know that... You all don't work, you know, <laughs> very part-time hours during an entire year. Uh, yeah. It's gotten to be a lot of work. Well, there's a salary commission that does the governor and does the state uh, general assembly, and they've put forward, I guess, recommendations and for raises. I quite frankly, it, it, actually, it's something, the way it's set up, the commission does it, and we don't even get to vote on it. Okay. So, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's not going to be an issue for me because I'm not coming back here. This <laughs> is my last term. So, I understand. Uh, you're not, you're not going to benefit by this one way or the other. No, no. And that's the way it's set up constitutionally, even with the sheriff, because yeah, right. uh, even though I, you know, I'm a supporter of, of Sheriff Jenkins, and you know, it's, it's not about the person in the job. It's, it's about the, job. the actual job. And that's why you do it at the end of the term is because it's before the election because the next person, whoever may, that may be, will get it. Unbelievable! Any other uh, any other bills or uh, actions? Well, let me that, let me oh, ask. Oh, well, we have the. Uh, I thought you were finished, Senator. Right? About the the probably the the big issue for the general public when you go beyond redistricting and all that is the uh, budget surplus. Yeah, and uh, does it go uh, <laughs> uh, back to people or rainy day funds, or do we target, for example, some of the programs uh, you're looking at with criminal justice and uh, bolstering police and all of that? Yeah, and you know you talk about something positive. Um, I know it's it's easy, and a lot of times I'm in the same way because I'm on the def- defensive down here, and I you know disagree with a lot of the policies. But uh, you have to give Governor Hogan a lot of credit in this, in that when he took over, there was a I believe it was a five billion dollar structural deficit, and now the state has a four billion dollar surplus. <laughs> so you know we are in a uh, better position as far as uh, where we were fiscally before. That being said, and the governor and I are in agreement on this, that we need to return some of that money back to the taxpayers. And a surplus is generated because the government took in more money than they planned. Correct. And the state of Maryland generally plans in plans to take in a great, you know, a good deal. So the governor has proposed with part of that dealing with retiree taxes in that the state of Maryland is one of the worst states to retire. And you yes. see it constantly. When people are retiring and they're done working, they move out of Maryland. Maryland, we have a couple things against us already, where the high cost of living and other things like that. But the fact that we, re, that we tax Social Security income, that we tax your, tax your pension income, your 401K, the way that we treat it, it's an incentive to people to move to Delaware or Florida and these other states. 
and we're really losing out. We're losing out on people that would like to stay in Maryland but just can't afford it. And so, fortunately, the governor in this budget begins uh, addressing that. And it, he does it with low-income uh, uh, seniors, but at least we begin to address it. I would like to see us uh, address it completely this year and just exempt that income from our taxation. Wouldn't that be great? How about we get rid of the uh, uh, state income tax to begin with? You know, you've heard of, you've heard of, you've heard of Florida, haven't you? You've heard of, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, 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 you're very much right on that. I mean, the states that, if you look at where we started off talking about the census, if you look at the states that really grew, yep. states like Florida, Tennessee, states that don't have, uh, have a zero income tax. But if you look at the states that are struggling uh, with population and people are fleeing, you look at New York and California, states with very high income taxes. Right. So there's there is no doubt that your tax rates have a lot to do with the flow of people and where they move. But we know for a fact that retirees and senior citizens are leaving Maryland because of its uh, the high cost of living, the unaffordability. And as legislators, we can help and we should help as far as uh, the tax taxation of retirement income and stop doing it. Well said, Senator. Uh, we have to break only in this nonsense from the administration, the Biden administration, where they are bringing uh, illegals into the country, and then they're flying them all over the country, including them dumping them in the state of Maryland. Is there anyone talking about anything that, that would, 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 would address this? I know Pennsylvania and uh, I do know Tennessee are trying to come up with a plan to uh, reject these uh, flights in the middle of the night. Has Maryland even thought about it or talked about it or Annapolis? No, I, I haven't. I haven't heard anybody um, really bring it up. I've just heard about it more nationally too. So, um, you know, I, I've heard somebody say maybe they should fly them all to Delaware. I think that idea. I think that would be perfect. <laughs> obviously, nothing going on in Delaware, and they, you know, I, I, I agree. What else, Frank? Uh, where are we taking the senator? Uh, one of the other big issues that uh, at least the Democratic majority wants to address uh, uh, this year, in addition to, to cannabis and some of the other things that have been brought up, is uh, climate. And uh, polls show that uh, a majority of Marylanders would like to uh, have a greenhouse gas emissions trimmed 60% or more by 2030. Can you see um, just uh, any kind of climate uh, legislation that you would favor? Uh, or is it all a bunk is too hot air. It's all hot air. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it's just the, the devil's in the details. So last year, the legislation that came in front of us in the Senate was actually going to take money from um, uh, the Bay Restoration Fund that we use for upgrading failing sewer systems and uh, for wastewater uh, treatment and runoff and things like or Quite frankly, as somebody who lives in Brunswick, which is right on the Potomac River, it's really important that if we have, you know, a uh, sewer plant near the river, that that sewer plant operates at a, at a good level and that we deal with wastewater and things are going right in the bay. It was going to take that money and put it instead in uh, planting of trees, which, look, planting of trees is fine. It's, it's a fine goal. But what, what has a bigger direct impact on the environment? I would argue that uh, sewage and wastewater runoff into the Potomac River and into our uh, streams and bay uh, has a bigger impact. So there's a lot of details to, to this legislation uh, that, we, that we'd have to delve through. Look, everybody wants a good environment and good environmental legislation, but, you know, the bill that came up last year, that was just what I thought was at least one fatal flaw in it. And the other thing we're going to have to do, especially when we talk about energy prices, I mean, I think that's being totally left out of here. Is And 
at least by people down in Annapolis, because people back home, they understand it, what they're paying at the pump right now for uh, a lot of these, what I would say is more far-left anti-energy policies at the federal level, which would have us, we went, we went from, in this country, we went from being energy, energy independent to right now we are one of the greatest importers of energy from Russia. If you look at what's going on with Russia, you look at them about to invade Ukraine, how much leverage do we have when we are now importing oil from Russia? We're one of the largest uh, uh, clients they have for oil. So I think that these things need to be discussed. And the last thing I'll say on the cost of energy is, and I've got legislation in, in Maryland, we automatically increase your gas tax every single year, and we do it to the rate of inflation. This was legislation that was passed a couple years ago with the gas tax. It was terrible. But I think it's doubly terrible now because you've got inflation at a 40-year uh, record level, and you've got gas prices at a 40-year record level. So I guess I would say that my concern when we're dealing with energy and things like that is the cost of energy, and people are going to be really struggling here with, the, with inflation and gas prices. Well, let me get just a quick follow-up, Senator, on, on my question. What about something real specific, like uh, uh, cutting greenhouse gas emissions by a certain percentage by a certain year? Do you see anything there that you can support or not? Well, we already have very, uh, I mean, dramatic goals. I think, I think Maryland is already, I think, like a 50% reduction goal. You know, we're already there. I mean, look, if somebody can come forward with a plan that makes sense, uh, I would I would support it. But... I think there's a lot to this debate that still needs to be addressed. And one of the other things is that when you talk about wind energy or solar energy, what is it we're using in Maryland for our base energy? You don't want to end up like, you know, look at what Texas happened when they had that, uh, yeah. uh, you know, winter come through and a lot of people lost power. What do you, in Maryland, you still have to have a base energy, whether it's natural gas, whether it's nuclear, something that is a base level there. And so a lot of these details have to be worked out. But look, if there's, you know, if something comes up that makes sense for the environment, I'll certainly support it. But a lot of legislation that's come in front of us has been really flawed. And I think, I think most people back home would agree that we shouldn't take clean water money and uh, divert that into you know, something else, even planting of trees, which is a noble goal. But I don't, I don't think it's as noble as protecting the Potomac and Moxie River and things like that. Well, it sounds like a plan, Senator. I just wish you would. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule today, and we need to get as much update as possible so people back home, so to speak, have an idea of what's happening to them. How are how are uh, Democrats and Republicans getting along? How does it feel to be a Republican compared to last year, the year before, as uh, Democrats have had a supermajority for a while, but it seems like you know we're just all over the country getting more divided. Uh, do, do you see that they are bending it all to uh, look out for Republicans' interests, or it's getting worse? <laughs> well, I, I think when you do the redistricting, that's always rough. That's always very partisan, and, you know, that's kind of red team versus blue team stuff. But I think that, especially in the Maryland Senate, where there's only 47 of us, it's supposed to be more collegial, and we're, we work together. And I would say that some of my best friends down here are, our Democrats. I really pride myself on, you know, spending time with my colleagues from across the aisle, having friendships across the aisle. Because at the end of the day, look, some of us are from, you know, districts that are more conservative, some more moderate, some more liberal. But, you know, we're all, prof- most of us down here, the vast majority are professionals. They understand that, your politics back home. But we want to work together and figure out where are the common grounds, where we can get things done. 
you know, and, and there's big picture items. There's things that you talked about, Frank, about the environment. Maybe there's, there's things we can work on that together. There's things on crime that we can work together. And my view has always been, especially in the minority party, uh, I cannot be effective if I don't have good relationships across the aisle. So I've always, you know, prided myself on that. I can't pass a bill or I can't defeat a bill if I don't have relationships across the aisle. So I think there's, you know, I think in the Maryland Senate, uh, it's not as partisan as people think. And it's a, it's a much, despite the outcome, which is <laughs> yeah. not always great, the process is much better than what you see at the federal level. In that, if you would come down and watch us any day in session, you can watch all 47 members sit there, and we debate. And everyone sits there and listens to everyone debate. It's not like at the federal level where you go on, you go on there and you're talking to C-SPAN, and there's, the floor is empty and no one's listening to you. 